Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. For those of you joining online, I really appreciate you also taking the time. And uh, I, if you haven't heard already, happy Father's Day to the fathers in this room. Frankly, I don't feel like I deserve getting a day. Uh, may, my dad deserves to have a day, but uh, I think Catherine probably deserves two Mother's Days um, instead of me getting one, because I don't feel like I really uh, do very much to help out, but uh, I try. One thing I do want to say before we get started is, um, I know I mentioned this when we do Mother's Day, but I, I also want to make sure I'm mindful of, there are many in here who maybe, maybe Father's Day is a hard day, um, whether it's because you've lost your father, or maybe it's because you have a strained relationship with your dad, or, or maybe it's because you didn't have a good dad. And I just want you to know that we're thinking about you too. And I hope and I pray that your view of your dad doesn't skew the fact that our father is not your dad. Our father is a good father. And uh, I just want to make sure I, I say that. Whenever Father's Day comes around, there are many different quotes you see, different things that come, pop up, that come to mind. And one of the things that I think of often, I remember reading this a long time ago, and I'm going to bring it up now because it pertains to my sermon. But one of the great Father's Day quotes is by a coach named Jim Valvano. Does anybody recognize that name? He coached the North Carolina State team that upset the, uh, the, dream, the, the Houston uh, you know, super team with Akeem Olajuwon and all those great players. Anyway, he has this quote where he says, My father gave me the greatest gift anyone could give another person. He believed in me. And uh, I, I think a lot about that because I think about how uh, I can think of me specifically with my dad. I'm going to use a sports analogy, but oftentimes with sports, I would come home and I would be the one that was my biggest critic uh, after the game. And I always remember my dad almost being defensive about it, almost like, don't talk about my son that way. You know, does that make sense? Like, I think you're great. And uh, I, I think about, and, and sometimes it can go a, a little too far. You know, I'm sure Ryan has had some experiences where a dad comes up to him and is just flabbergasted that their son or daughter is not getting more playing time and I can't believe my child is not starting and part of that is because in dads in good dads there is this genuine belief and desire to advocate for our children to see them lifted up you know to see them doing well I, I bet you some of you have had dads where they were willing to go to a, a store one time and say hey would you be willing to give my son or daughter a job here you know I'm going to advocate for them. How many of you have ever written a reference letter? Anybody in here ever written a reference letter for somebody? If you haven't, become a youth minister. You will write 20 a year, okay? No joke, I write tons of reference letters. I probably, I probably write realistically like eight a, a year probably. And, uh, but it's a blessing and it's a gift. And part of what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to say to whoever I'm writing to for a scholarship, for a job, for an internship, I think you should really consider this person and I'm going to advocate for them. And that's something that good fathers do for their children. They have this desire to see their children do well and to advocate and speak well of them. And I'm bringing this up because in my opinion, we in life, we are all dependent on people to advocate for us. Whether you realize it or not, there are very few things in your life that you've been able to get going without someone else speaking on your behalf. You may not believe that, but it's just the bottom line. Many of you in here maybe were able to start a business because you had a dad who said, you know what, I will 
I will help front that money. Many of you maybe wouldn't have been able to have a job without a coach or a teacher or someone at your school saying, I'll speak for this person. And we're very dependent on people in our lives who are helping us get to where we want to go. And this series we've been doing on the powerful and the powerless, we've been, for the past few weeks, uh, we've been looking at uh, this idea of God as a God of justice for the powerless. And what that looks like, two weeks ago we talked about how that looks like God's generosity for people. And last week we looked at how God sees people as equal. And he calls on us to see people as equal. And that in our world, our world does not see people as equal. But because of our belief in God and our faith in God, we bring justice to this world whenever we see people as equal. And this third facet of that I want to talk about, and this I mentioned last week comes from an article by Tim Keller that really inspired me, is the idea that we have a God who advocates for the poor and the powerless in this world, and he uses us to be his advocates. And so let's look at some verses, and then I'm going to, we're going to look at some verses, I'll make a takeaway, and then, and then look at some verses and have a takeaway, and then try and, and bring this home uh, to a point that feels personal. So verse, first topic, if you're a note taker, I'm going to read four verses here, and I'm going to explain them as we go. Proverbs 11:26. People curse the one who hoards grain, but they pray God's blessings on the one who is willing to sell. This is about how there are some people who have plenty and are willing to hold on it, onto it in order to take advantage of people so that they can raise the price on that. Deuteronomy 24, 14 through 15. Do not take advantage of a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether that worker is a fellow Israelite or a foreigner residing in one of your towns. Pay them their wages each day before sunset, because they are poor and are counting on it. Otherwise, they may cry to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty of sin. There's, this is an example where God is saying, listen, do not take advantage of these people. You know that you could say, you know what, I'll pay you tomorrow. But for those people, some of them are like, I, I don't know if I can wait till tomorrow. And so God says, be thinking about them. In Jeremiah 22, 3, this is what the Lord says, do what is just and right. Rescue from the hand of the oppressor, the one who has been robbed. Do no wrong or violence to the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Have you noticed that theme over and over? Throughout this whole series, throughout the Old Testament, it says the fatherless, the foreigner, and the widow. All three of these people are people who are in powerless situations. They have no value that they bring, and there's no reason that anyone should have to help them. But God says, I want you helping them because they're in this powerless situation. He says, and do not shed innocent blood in this place. He's talking about there are people who are going to be taken advantage of, and you need to be taking care of them. And lastly, Proverbs 22, verses 22 through 23. Do not exploit the poor because they are poor, and do not crush the needy in court, for the Lord will take up their case and will exact life for life. God is saying... There's plenty of ways in which you can manipulate this where it's going to be for your advantage. But don't do that because I'm going to be there and I'm going to be taking up their side. So the first takeaway is that often in life, powerful people will, whether they realize it or not, take advantage of the powerless. And part of our job as being God's people, part of our job as being his image bearers, is to be aware of those things. To look around and go, you know, this doesn't quite seem right. This, this is a, a system in which it's really easy for this person to just keep on getting wealthy off of these people, and there's really no, nothing to keep them from doing that. There's really no structure in place that's going to keep them from profiting off of this. Those powerless people, if they were to say, hey, listen, this isn't really fair, 
they can say, okay, how about you go on strike? And how about after a week of being on strike and your family's hungry, you come back to me and we just keep doing it the way we're doing it. You with me? Okay. Two more verses to talk about the second takeaway. Psalm 41.1 says, Blessed is the one who gives active consideration to the weak and the poor. Notice that it doesn't just say, Blessed is the one who's not mean to the poor. It says, Blessed is the one who gives active consideration. Proverbs 31, 8 through 9, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. The second takeaway, if you're a note taker, is that the powerful and the powerless are just as important and loved by God. Never forget that. Our equality sermon last week said that over and over. The the powerful, powerless, no matter who you are, what class you're in, what your wealth is, what your ethnicity is, God loves you equally. But scripture shows frequently that the rich and the powerful do not need you to speak up for them, but the poor and the powerless do. They need someone to come and speak on their behalf. The powerful people have plenty of people that are very interested in helping them and speaking up to them. You know why? Because what goes around comes around. If I help out this person, they're going to be... But guess what? A powerless person has nothing that they can help you with. There's no value that they can bring to you if you advocate for them. And yet God says over and over, they don't have a voice. I want you to be their voice. And so one of the questions that I want you to think about, and I want you to think about with me today is I'm going to make a confession. I am not very good at this, and I struggle with this a lot. I am not someone who wakes up every day and sees, when I, when I used to, when Catherine and I used to live in the parsonage, and we'd drive down 11th Street, and I would see some homes that looked just in terrible shape, my heart would be a little bit like, man, I wish I could do something to help. But then another part of me would be like, I've got to get to work. You with me? How many of you, just if you're like me, how many of you have plenty of moments where you're saying, okay, Drew, I get what you're saying, but what about all those people that are just living off of welfare, Drew? What about all those people that just have no intentions of doing anything with their life and they're just going to take advantage of those things? I'm with you. I understand those frustrations, those concerns, those thoughts. And yet over and over again, I have to remind myself, most of those thoughts for me come from a place of, I don't really want to take the time to work on that. Most of those thoughts for me come from a place of, what if I did help out that person and then they just started calling me every day asking for more help? That sounds terrible. Linda, have you ever had anybody that you've helped that's, oh, I know I can call Linda anytime I need some help. And it's exhausting. It's draining. And you're, you're just constantly thinking, man, I don't want to have that kind of burden in my life. And yet, over and over in Scripture, we see a God who says, those people who are in those rough situations, whether from their own accord or from life circumstances, I want them to have life change. And I want you to be thinking about them. And for me, the guiding story that kind of helps me walk through this, the story that I feel like illuminates uh, where I want my heart to be, is the story of Ruth and Naomi. And I know I've told you this story before. I know, y'all know this is one of my favorite stories, but let's walk through this story together, all right? Naomi is married to Abimelech. Naomi and Abimelech have two sons, and they are going through a famine. They're going through a time where it's 100 degrees for three or four weeks straight. Anybody ever heard of that before? I mean, that, if I can't get an amen from that, I'm just kidding. But seriously, it's been hot, okay? They have been in a famine. 
they are looking around at their land, and I don't even know what Abimelech and Naomi's land would have looked like, but they're looking around and they're like, we're going to die if we stay here. Is that because they were lazy? Is that because they didn't work hard? It's because it didn't rain. It's because they didn't have enough food coming. And so what they did is they looked at each other and they said, we've never wanted to do this ever, but we've got to move. We've got to leave Israel and we've got to go to Moab. Honey, we can't go to Moab. No way. Have you heard about the Moabites? All their pagan worship, all their things they do, we can't go there. We've got to or we're going to die. So they leave everything and they go to Moab. And there in Moab, her Naomi and her husband, have, their two sons marry these two girls, Orpah and Ruth. And they're married and they're, they're trying to do what they can. And guess what? Abimelech dies there and her two sons die there. And now you've got a widow in a foreign country that does not have a God that tells them to take care of widows. And you've got her two widow daughters. And she says to them, y'all, I am, my life is over. I am a sinking ship. Y'all should just get out of here. Like there's really nothing you could gain from sticking around with me. And she says, I'm going back to Israel. I'm hoping somebody will like just be nice to me in my old age. Y'all stay here in Moab. You've got families here. You've got a situation in which you could possibly get remarried to somebody again. And that would be great for you. And Orpah says, okay, I'll do it. And Ruth says, I'm going to stick with you. And in that moment, Ruth advocated for Naomi. She was willing to say, not, well, you know, Naomi, if I help you out, you know, you could just become a welfare project on me. You know, if I help you out, you might just be enabled to, you know, get pass outs all the time. She says, I'm going to be with you, Naomi. And she sticks with her and they go to Israel. And when they get to Israel, they go and Ruth says, hopefully there's going to be a really generous farmer who does what the law commands, which is to leave the extra margins in their field so that we can go, I can go work and get some food for us. And Ruth goes out into the field and guess what? There's this man named Boaz who says, who's that woman? And he tells his workers, make sure she gets extra food. Hey, have her come eat with me. And you know what he did in that moment? He was an advocate for Ruth and an advocate for the family of Naomi and Abimelech. And what did he say? Did he say to her, now listen, if you get this food, I'm not giving you any more food because then I might be enabling you. You know, if, if I give you this food and this can't just turn into something where you're just constantly coming and begging at my door, hey, Mr. Boaz, can I have some more food? What does he do? He just generally, generously gives to her. And in this story, we see over and over again, and I mentioned this when I preached the Ruth series, not one time is the name God mentioned, except at the beginning and the end when it says, it says, and the Lord at the end, the Lord was with them. But throughout the story, there's no mention of God at all. Yet the point is, is that God is constantly at work in the story to advocate for his child, Naomi. And he's doing it through Ruth, and he's doing it through Boaz. And so that brings me to the, one of the, when we ask the question, how can I be an advocate for the powerless in my community? What is that supposed to look like? Drew, give me some practical advice. What I'm going to give you is the story of Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. And the story is to say, you go do life and realize that God is working through you to advocate for his people that need it. Throughout the scriptures, yes, we have a God who we see do incredible things where he sends these mighty signs, but primarily the way he does things for his people in the story of God is through his people to advocate. And when you all hear the story of Ruth and Naomi, you're probably thinking, well, I could do that. That sounds like helping out family. You know what I mean? 
Jesus comes and tells us that we have a new family, all right? And our new family is to constantly do what Ruth and Boaz did for Naomi for each other. Our new family tells us that, guess what? We have a God who says we need to be looking out for the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow. And we need to be doing what we can to be God's advocates for what He wants to do for them. I have this passage from Luke that I've been thinking of. Luke uh, 4, Jesus gets up in the synagogue in Bethlehem. He opens up the scroll of Isaiah and He says this. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is not spiritual mumbo-jumbo. This is not, well, he's talking about the spiritually blind. He's talking about the spiritually oppressed. He's talking about the spiritually poor. Jesus is saying, I have come to be an advocate for these people, to bring them life through recovery of sight, through setting them free, through, through helping them out. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I, I see in this passage is too often when we read these things, it sounds like, Jesus, I don't know if I have time to do all that. You were the Messiah. You came to do that. I'm not here for that. But we are here to be God's image bearers. We are here to join in in that idea of this is what we're called to be. God wants us to be this. And, and the picture I want to use is a picture of a good father, like I mentioned earlier. I want you to picture the fathers in your life or the fathers in this room. How many of them want their children to do well in life? All of the good fathers do, right? They want to lift them up. Now, here we go. I'm going to say two things that you got to be careful with. How many of you fathers in here, or you know fathers, that had to parent different children differently? Okay, you with me? Does that mean that if one child is getting a whole lot of attention when they're a teenager, that, that means they don't love the other children? No. A good father loves all their children equally. But are there some times where a good father has to give a little bit of extra attention and help to one of their children? Nod your heads if you're with me, okay? Another example. Is there times maybe where a father has to think through, I really want to help you, but I also don't want to do something that's going to be bad for you in the long run. And so I'm going to choose to help you the right way. Yes, that's still going to be a part of this. We're always going to have a part of this. We're advocating for those who are in need, is making sure we're not doing something that's not actually going to be for their benefit in the long run. But that father, when they choose to say, I'm not going to help you with this, that breaks their heart. And when I sometimes say, you know what, I'm not going to help this person, it's not usually breaking my heart. It's usually kind of a, a cop-out. You with me? Every time I choose not to help someone, whenever we're deciding what should or shouldn't we do, I hope I go home really sad and heartbroken, just like a father who says to their child, you can't stay here anymore. Just like a father who says to their child, sorry, I'm not sending you another $500. I can't do that again. And the last thing, though, is... Every good father looks at all their children and says, I long for each of you to get to a place where your life is in a good spot. And I am willing to bend over backwards if it means I can help you get just enough to be able to get in a good place in life. You with me? And so Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, what Boaz is doing is he's saying, you guys are in a hole. I'm going to advocate for you. I am going to get you in a place where your life can have real life change, where you can go from emptiness of being a widow in a foreign country to being renewed by having a new life and new regeneration of your life like Naomi experiences. One thing that Jesus says, and then I'll be done. Jesus says in Matthew 6, um, Forgive 
uh, what does he say? You should forgive as you have been forgiven. But if you do not forgive others, then your heavenly Father will not forgive you. It's kind of a daunting phrase. I would argue you could say the same thing about this. Advocate for each other. Help out the poor, the widow, the fatherless, the immigrant. And if you don't, your heavenly Father won't advocate for you. Now that's a strong take. I'm not, it's not, it doesn't say it in the Bible. But I can imagine that God is saying, listen, all of you are in a situation where you've needed me to advocate for you. And I'm calling you to advocate for each other. And I'm going to use you to advocate for each other. In all of this, why does God care so much about us doing this? It's because he cares about us having new life. He cares about every person who's in a hopeless, powerless place to be in a place of freedom and in a place of life that comes from Jesus Christ. And if any of you are sitting here thinking, Drew, this is a great sermon, but what if I'm the powerless one? What if I'm the one that feels like I'm empty? I have good news. God is advocating for you. And if any of you are sitting here going, well, I'm the one that's empty, maybe not with certain financial things, but I'm empty spiritually, I'm broken, my sins are heavy, guess what? God is advocating for you. So much so that he sent his son to die for you so that you could have new life. If any of you would like to talk more about that, or if any of you have any prayer requests where you'd love for some people in our church to be trying to help you out, this is an amazing church community that says to each other, if, if any one of our members here, we heard that one of them was in a powerless spot financially, was in a tough spot with something at their home, this community right here will drop everything to take care of each other. So you're in a good place. Let's, uh, if you have any prayer requests, the elders will be at the doors while we stand and sing this song.